Welcome to week number two in a new series called Opportunities and Threats. Advancing God's kingdom in the midst of a cultural earthquake. We are living in the midst of a massive cultural earthquake. And it hasn't stopped and it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. The shaking of many foundations is, is still going on. So we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, wow, all the shaking stopped, things are back to normal. What should we do now that things are safe? We have to be aware that we've got to probably go against a natural instinct, which is when things are unsettled, when things are shaking, like in a, a natural earthquake, we want to duck and cover. But that is not going to do right now. There's too much spiritual power both good and bad, that we see just brewing all around us, clashing all around us right now, that the duck and cover would be the last thing that the church of Jesus should do. There's a verse in Hebrews that talks to a church that was going through a, a scary time, an unknown time, a, a tumultuous time. And this is what the apostle said to them. Hebrews 10, 39, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Do you know that there's sometimes some situations where you can shrink back, you can try to duck and cover, and that will be your destruction. So the Bible says right there, to shrink back in certain situations is what's going to destroy you. There are times where if you don't fight, you will be destroyed. And that's the kind of world we're living in right now. There is enough coming at us, enough attack, enough spiritual negative power coming at us that if we don't, if we shrink back and try to duck and cover, we're going to get destroyed. That word shrink back is a, is a powerful one. It has a connotation of retreating, intentionally Going away, the literal translation of it, it was used for sailors. It means to put down your sails. So if you think a sailor is out there on the sea, and it's kind of the sense of giving up, They're like, nah, it's just not happening. Let's put the sails down. Let's, let's go under, let's, you know, sleep and we'll come back when the circumstances are more favorable. Very interesting language for book of Hebrews to say when times are tough and you're getting attacked and it's coming against you don't put the sails down that will be your destruction and in fact we've got to double down put the sails up trust that the gust of the Holy Spirit will come and do what he wants to do in the midst of it all So this is a series that's going to look at what are various threats coming our way that make us kind of just naturally say, I want to put the sails down. I want to kind of just duck and cover till it's all over. But for such a time as this, we will not give in to that and be destroyed. 
We will find the ways to see the opportunities where God is working, God is on the move, what is God wanting to do, so that actually in the midst of various real threats that we face, personally, corporately, as a city, as a state, as a nation, we're going to put our stake in the ground, we're going to put the sails up, and we're going to say, no, we believe that in the midst of it, God's will has not changed. His desire is to advance his kingdom in us and through us. So that's what we're going after. So last week we looked at where the Bible often starts, though it doesn't finish, but it often starts when we're looking at advancing God's kingdom. It starts with a look in the mirror at personal responsibility. And that's where we avoid the threat that just says, oh, look at problems and just go blame everybody else. I'm sure it's someone else's issue. The Bible calls us to a bold and courageous step that says where you can pray things like the psalmist prayed at the end of Psalm 139 where he says, search me, O God, and know me. See if there's any grievous way in me so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. And when our identity is secure in Christ, we have the courage to say, Lord, I want to grow. I want you to show me if there's anything that's getting in the way of me walking closer with you so I can walk in your abundant life. That's personal responsibility. So that was last week. It's on the website if you missed it. Today, I want to talk about another real threat. And we're going to kind of start and continue to move outward where the Bible starts with personal responsibility. Then you start to look to those around you and your community, and your family, and then it goes to city, state, nation. So we're going to look now kind of expanding that circle, if you will, today. We're going to look at the context right now of community, those relationships that are closest to you, your immediate family, your real close friends, and maybe a, a little bit beyond that. But there is a massive threat going on right now in our world, isolation and loneliness. We're all facing that threat, most of us on, on the daily. And there are, I would say, I've been saying for months, that there is going to be a brewing mental, emotional, spiritual health crisis on our hands. We are not made to be locked down and isolated. That is against nature. It's against our design. It's against our purpose. We're made for community. We're made for belonging. We're made for relationship. And so that was part of one of my fears from the beginning of this whole thing was how come we're not hearing about the grave threat to our souls when you isolate people? And, and, and now, finally, you're starting to hear more of that. With, with kids being out of school, parents recognize that, and, and there is a flurry of, of upset parents talking right now about what are the ramifications of kids not being able to play sports, not being able to fellowship, not being able to be in school. And, and so that's a good thing, but it's, it's taken a very long time, and still, I'm not hearing it very much on the, the lips of, of leaders in, in, in high places. We have to wrestle with what are the ramifications of being isolated and what is that going to mean for our mental, spiritual, and emotional health. And I believe it's going to be a crisis brewing, if not already. So I want to walk us through some of the, the science-based stats that are now coming out that if you believe in God's word, you 
were on that page months and months ago. The CDC published something on Friday for the first time in the five months of this whole situation. And I was like, wow, I'm happy to see that. Uh, welcome, welcome to the party <laughs> of reality. So it published 81420 on the CDC website. Here's the, here's the, uh, the headline. Mental health, substance abuse, and suicidal ideation during the COVID pandemic. Based on a, a survey taken June 24th to 30th. So now it's you know, almost six weeks old, so you can just imagine it's only worse. So here I want to go through, don't do this a whole lot, but in this situation, just having some good science-based facts from a, a variety of places is helpful for us just to see the weight of the threat that... God's word would say this very clearly from the beginning, but this is God's word is, is being proven by, by the, the social scientists that are studying our, our world, our culture, our society right now. So just an affirmation of God's truth, but it speaks clearly to the threat that is coming against us every day right now, one of them. So, on to the CDC report. And if you guys want, if you're a, a you know, researcher and reader, you want any of these, you know, articles that I um, cite today, feel free to give me an email and I'll give them all to you. So, published 81420, they start by kind of a summary. What is added by this report? That's the question. During June 24th to 30th, this is what's added. So, kind of, what's the contribution that this report is making? Basically this, right here. The U.S. adults reported considerably elevated adverse mental health conditions associated with COVID-19. Younger adults, racial and ethnic minorities, essential workers, and unpaid adult caregivers reported having experienced disproportionately worse mental health outcomes, increased substance abuse, and elevated suicidal ideation. So what are the implications for public health practice? This is good. The public health response to the COVID-19 pandemic should increase intervention and prevention efforts to address associated mental health conditions. That's good. That's good for the CDC to say, hey, public officials, mental and emotional health matters. In fact, is in a crisis, and we need to be thinking about how to address that also right now. So that's good. Moving on. The coronavirus disease pandemic has been associated with mental health challenges related to the morbidity and mortality caused by the disease and the mitigation of activities, including the impact of physical distancing and stay-at-home orders. This is good. Starting to actually take a look. Does this, you know, when you're isolated for five months, does that have an effect on anybody? Good question. Symptoms of anxiety disorder and depressive disorder increased considerably in the United States during April to June of 2020, compared to the same period in 2019. During late June of 2020, 40% of Americans, of U.S. adults, reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. 40% reported it. So how many people were not even courageous enough to, on an anonymous survey, say, yes, I'm struggling? This one, this one kills me. Among 18 to 24-year-olds, 25% have reported 
having seriously considered suicide in the last days. Last, excuse me, last 30 days. 18 young adults in America in the last 30 days, 25% of them, one in four, have considered, seriously considered suicide. That's a threat. The solution, they say in this, community-level intervention and prevention efforts, community-level, community-level, something like church, community-level intervention and prevention efforts, including communication strategies, maybe like hearing truth, designed to reach these groups could help address various mental health conditions associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, we're moving in the right direction. The, uh, the Oxford Academic International Journal of Medicine published this on June 30th, so a little earlier. Multiple lines of evidence indicate that the coronavirus disease pandemic has, pro has profound psychological and social effects. The psychological sequelae, which means consequence, I had to look it up, the psychological consequence of the pandemic will probably persist for months and years to come. Social isolation, anxiety, fear, uncertainty, chronic stress, economic difficulties may lead to the development or exacerbation of depressive, anxiety, substance abuse, and other psychiatric disorders. Mental health consequences of the COVID-19 crisis, including suicidal behavior, are likely to be present for a long time and peak later than the actual pandemic. That's a threat. Solution. To reduce suicides during COVID-19 is imperative to decrease stress, anxiety, fears, and loneliness in the general population. There should be traditional and social media campaigns to promote mental health and reduce stress. Active outreach is necessary. Yes. I'm not sure social media campaigns is going to fix it, though. May 21st, Walnut Creek, California. Headline of ABC7news.com said this, doctors at John Muir Medical Center in Walnut Creek say they have seen more deaths by suicide during this quarantine period than deaths from COVID virus. The head of the trauma department believes mental health is suffering so much it's time to end the shelter in place. And he says this, Dr. Mike Dubois Blanc. I think the originally the order in place was a flattened curve. We all know that, et cetera. Here's where it gets... We've never seen numbers like this. This is a quote from the trauma, head of trauma doctor. We've never seen numbers like this in such a short period of time. I mean, we've seen a year's worth of suicide attempts in the last four weeks. And one of his uh, colleagues there, Casey Hansen, trauma nurse at the same place, John Muir Medical Center, says, what I've seen recently after working here 33 years, I've never seen before. I've never seen so much intentional injury. That is a threat. And lastly, we'll look to a very comprehensive report 
put out by a team of doctors and psychologists from the Wellbeing Trust. The, uh, it's fascinating. I actually sent it out to the whole church family like a month ago. Uh, the article or the whole medical report is called Projected Deaths of Despair. So this is what this team does. They take various crises and with a bunch of different, you know, factors, they're able to project deaths of despair. And what they mean by that is a death of despair is a death uh, due to uh, drug use, alcohol abuse, or suicide. Those three things. And so they did a, a study to project the increased deaths of despair due to COVID and the isolation and loneliness that has come. More Americans could lose their lives to deaths of despair due to drug, alcohol, suicide if we don't do something immediately. Deaths of despair have been on the rise for the last decade. And in the context of COVID-19, deaths of despair should be seen as the epidemic within the pandemic. The goal of this report is to predict what deaths of despair we might see based on three assumptions during the COVID-19. Economic recovery and how long it'll take. Relationships between deaths of despair and unemployment. And geography. Across nine different scenarios, additional deaths of despair will range from 27,644 at best if there's a very quick recovery, smallest impact of unemployment, to 154,000 if there is a slow recovery, greatest impact of unemployment, and somewhere in the middle being around 68 to 75,000. So in other words, science-based research on what these guys have looked at in various crises, they looked at the crisis of of 2006 and 8 and, and the you know, Great Recession at the time, the housing bubble, what it did into employment, all this stuff. So they're able to predict what, what's going on, people's responses in these you know, crises of times. And basically they're saying the longer this goes on, and especially if it's tied to unemployment, which in the state of California there are 15,000 businesses that have closed and said they could never reopen. So the longer this goes on, the more our country will approach those numbers of 154,000 deaths of despair. That's, that's almost as many deaths as COVID itself. That is a threat. Maybe, one, one, one comment in here that's like, yeah, thanks. Virtual community may not be enough to hold off the impact of isolation and loneliness. Oh, you mean Zoom is just not quite cutting it, huh? <laughs> Recommendations on meaningful and comprehensive action as a nation. Think about these. Is, does the body of Christ play any role in this? So this is their six recommendations. Get people working. That's awesome. Get people connected. Get mental health integrated. Like talk about it, think about it, be aware. Get people facts. Offer a vision of hope for the future. Get people care. In the face of these real threats of isolation and loneliness, church, church, we have a mighty opportunity. I mean, God has a solution for isolation and loneliness. It's called the body of Christ. I mean, this is an opportunity to just do what, we're, what we do best. <laughs> just love people. The very basic meaning of the word church just means to gather, to get together. Ecclesia, gather together. 
Today I want to do something real simple here, and that's just to remind us of something we already know and trust the Holy Spirit of God is going to refresh our zeal for what we already know. Jesus said it like this, when two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. That's church right there. But don't let the, the simplicity of the, the word gathering betray or, or define for us the significance of it. Jesus himself says something awesome. The church itself is a sacred and supernatural activity. That even if just two people, two people, which you can go to breakfast outside and hold church, two people are gathered in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I will be there in your midst. And this is not talking like this general sense of, oh, God's everywhere. When, when the Bible uses that kind of language, it's saying, it's talking about the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, when you gather intentionally in my name, you recognize it. Maybe sometimes you just got to do it out loud. That's why it's good to pray together before a meal. You're recognizing God. We might just be two, but we're gathering in the name of Jesus, meaning we're giving this time over to the one who has supernatural power to do something in our time. So though we're just mere humans, we can walk away from this time with the feeling of God was present. God met me. God was there. God encouraged me. God built me up. Man, I feel better today. Because I had church with, with just one other person. This is such good news that Jesus has for us for such a time as this. We have the opportunity to recapture and to recognize the, the supernatural calling of being church to one another and man the world is crying out for it we're crying out for it let's let's be careful let's not just get too much out there we're crying out for it isolation and loneliness is not good and and i know the church family has felt the effects of it your kids have felt the effects of it. Your spouse has felt the effects of it. You and I have felt the effects of when we are isolated. Loneliness comes quick, and that is not good for the soul. We're not made to do life alone. Nobody. I mean, there was jokes at the beginning, you know, like about the whole lockdown thing and like introverts are posting online, like, you know, like, hey, I was born for this. And like, I've been waiting my whole life for this. Those jokes have stopped, haven't they? We're made for community. We're made for belonging and connection. We're made for life-giving relationships. We have been given such a sacred gift. The manifest presence of God in our midst when we gather in his name. And that's intentional. That's an intentional recognition. So that's maybe a, a takeaway, a to-do, if you will, an application. Just like how Jesus says, whatever you pray in my name will be done for you. So, but we can make that into just, we say at the end of a prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Where, where we say it, but 
we're, we're not saying it. We're not in that place where we're saying, this whole prayer that I'm praying, I have now the incredible privilege and authority to pray in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, Savior of all, triumphant, powerful King, who said the same spirit that raised me from the dead is going to be in you, and I'm giving you the authority. You will do the same things I do. If you believe in me and pray in my name, that kind of, at the end of prayer, that's what I'm going for, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So the same way, it's like when we gather in his name. Jesus says, when you gather in my name, it's the same way. Where this is that, we got to work on it. Where we're not just gathering, oh, I'm a, it's a believer, that's cool. No, let's try to slow down and, and take in the, the awe of the sacred opportunity and privilege that Christ died for so that when we gather with another Christian something absolutely sacred and supernatural is and can and will take place when we truly do it in his name. So whether it's in here where you just kind of slow down and recognize the privilege of being with a brother or sister or whether you want to pray out loud. And that's, I, I gather Tuesday morning with 10 guys, every single Tuesday morning with 10 guys from this church that have been with a long time. We pray to start. And there's something, it's not because we need to pray like, oh, it's the religious duty. No, it's because it's like, God help us soak in this moment of the truly sacred and supernatural opportunity that it can be and is to gather in your name. Where we can walk away from this time and we can be like, what the heck just happened? I mean, I know we were all drinking coffee, but coffee's not nearly that good. Coffee's a blessing from the Lord, but I am, whoa, that was awesome. I can, I am ready for anything today. I am fired up. I am filled up. And it's not because those guys are that cool. They're awesome. But it's like you do something so much better than the sum of us just together as people. You're in our midst. Whew. Man, feeling good today. So I encourage us, try to take it in, slow it down. Take it in to just, just to be with a believer. Now this happens probably for most of you. This happens in your home. So what does this mean to, to take a moment, if you're married, to recognize with your spouse, oh, whoa, church right here today. And I know it's hard because it's like, you know, repetition just brings, you know, like, what do they say, contempt or whatever, like just familiarity breeds contempt. It's just, you, you, it's hard to stay like familiar over and over like, oh, but that's okay. But let's, let's live into what Jesus said, whether it's your kids, your spouse, close friends, Take that deep spiritual breath, slow down, and recognize what Jesus says we have in just one other person that's calls, that's, that calls upon the name of Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11. Super cool passage. We're going to read it. It really speaks to our context now and just to be the church. It's, I, I love when, when 
I'm studying God's word and preparing, and I, 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 I didn't even know this verse was in the Bible. I mean, really, the whole thing. So it's, it's so cool how it's like God surprises you, and his word confirms his word, and this is, this is an incredibly cool passage about the, some of the essential mission of the church. So I knew that part, but the connection that it had at the beginning, super cool. So here we go. Let's check this out. Verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Interesting. People are talking a lot about times and seasons right now, right? In the church, too. It's not bad, but concerning times and seasons, what time are we in right now? What season are we in? So just interesting. He says, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, or some people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brother, for that day to surprise you, or excuse me, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, or the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation for Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, which in this case means already dead in the Lord, we might live. Therefore... Encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So that last verse is what I already knew was there. Is going like to find it and you know take it apart, which I love to do. But what I didn't know was the context, which is it's so interesting. In the middle of a crisis, where in this church's context, people are saying all sorts of things, from false security to doom and gloom. What should you do as followers of Christ? It's simple. Be the church. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Don't get wrapped up in the time or seasons. You know Jesus is coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. Don't go way over here or way over there. Oh, doom and gloom. Oh, everything's fine. Stop it. Just be the church. Encourage one another. Build one another up. That word encourage, by the way, it's a goodie. Parakaleo, it's the exact same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit himself is the parakaleo, the comforter, the helper, the encourager. So when we talk about Jesus saying he will be present in our midst with when even one or two gather, here is a massive confirmation of that from Paul who uses the exact same word to describe your job as Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit's job. That's, that was worth like a, oh, wow. <laughs> Paul uses the exact same word to describe part of your job as Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit's job. That, that, that's awesome. What an affirmation of what Jesus is saying. I will be with you. 
I will be in your midst. How? Through the person you're with. Encourage one another. Be. Be the encouragement. Be the helper. Be the comforter. It's, it's almost like blasphemous. Be the Holy Spirit's mission. That's exactly what it says. And then the word build up. Oikodomeo. It's like building a house. It's the picture. It's exactly what it is. Build a house. Oh, it's like Jesus said, build a house on a rock. That's not a solo mission. Building your house on a rock is not a solo mission. Here is the injunction, the, the command, if you will, that in the body of Christ, part of the church's mission is to help your brother or sister build their house upon the rock. It has the, the sense of making something, building something into its fullness, like the project, the construction project of the house isn't quite done, and you're a part of bringing it to completion, bringing it into its fullness. That is impossible if you're isolated and alone. We're made to be in each other's lives in such a way where we contribute to one another. I don't just build my house on the rock as a solo mission, just me as an individual. That's not it. It might start with personal responsibility, but there is a collective that is absolutely integral to my future where I have to have people in my life that are oikodomeo in me. They're helping me build my house of faith into the fullness that God wants for me can't do it alone. Part of that essential role of just being together. Help each other finish building their house. Whoo, come on, this is so good. Part of the essential mission of the church to one another, to the world. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Help each other build the house. So here's the question. Who are you encouraging? Who are you building up? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you longing to do these things through you for others in power. In what Jesus would say is actually a supernatural power where you have an effect and an influence on people where they'll walk away, man, and be like, wow. I was comforted like God was here with me. Wow, I'm built up. The house of faith of my life is built up like God's doing it. <gasps> we are made for community. Got to find ways to make it happen right now. Acts 2, 42 and 47 through 47 describe the, the early church and some of the ways that God was moving in their midst, and it speaks right to this. And so we'll close here. In verse 42, it says, And the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. This awesome stuff keeps happening. Here's the word to me, the key word in all that. They devoted themselves. Devoted is you, you shape your life around this. 
It's first in your calendar, not last in your calendar. It's not the leftovers, and I'm going to do all the things that I'm going to do, and then I'll see, do I have any available time for God? The power and fruit of your life will reflect that poor investment. This is, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. Devoted is not simply a strong affection, like, I really love God. It is that. That's awesome. Strong affections are healthy, very biblical. We've been looking in the Psalms like this, man, just to praise God with everything you have, with your lips, with your body, with your spirit, your mind. Awesome. But real devotion is in addition to strong affection, it takes planning. It takes intentional planning. A couple engineers in the house get a what, what? Planning <laughs> worships God. What are they planning? Look, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that's relationship, being together, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. All came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings to distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they attended temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. There's planning that goes into that. It's not... Oh, I'm just going to do all my normal schedule, and then we'll see what I have left for God. This is shaped around. Life is shaped around God. Devotion to God shapes life. You see the specifics here. It takes plan. It doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to show up in the temple every day. You don't just happen to regularly have meals with each other. So a huge part of, of right now responding to God is, is at our lives and saying, how, how devoted am I to getting and staying connected to others? Have I, do I have both structured and spontaneous times of being connected? Those structured times where it says, I'm putting this in my calendar before everything else. So, like Sunday morning, that's a great one. You have structured time. So that's what these, these folks are modeling. They had structured times. They would have a daily time in the temple, and they would have regular meals together. So what does that look like? That looks like putting it in your calendar. What's a rhythm that works for you? So I have several things in my calendar where it's like, this is structured. This is not changing. I need this fellowship. I want this fellowship. It's going to take priority. I'm putting it in the calendar as structured time for the health of my soul. And it would be really hard to delete that, that time. So those are structured times. They're a gift from the Lord for you, for your own well-being, vibrancy, abundant life. And then there's those spontaneous where it's like, I value this, so I'm going to look for those opportunities. Is God bringing someone my way this week? Is there one of those divine appointments with a brother? Whether maybe it's you're on the end of, man, I'm feeling the weight of the isolation and loneliness. I need some encouragement. I need to pick me up. I need a, you cry out to the Lord with that and watch him put an opportunity in front of you. Watch him put that divine appointment. 
where someone invites you out to a meal outside. Or whatever it may be. Look for the opportunity. Or if you're feeling good, you're feeling fired up, you're feeling filled up, look for that opportunity spontaneously. Who is God putting in my sphere of influence? Who's God putting in my path? Who's God putting in my direction this week where I can reach out and I can be the one who encourages or builds up? Those are those spontaneous times where because we're devoted to it, we've got a radar on. I mean, it's, it's awesome. In this passage, three of the four key devotions mentioned, three of the four things that the church was devoted to that brought so much city transforming and ultimately culture, cultural and empire transforming power, three of those four things can happen with just one other person. A meal, fellowship, and prayer. What are the four things they're devoted to? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers. Three of those four things, easy. Meal, fellowship, prayer. And I would even argue that the fourth one could happen. Because the apostles' teaching, remember, they didn't have the Bible yet. So they were very reliant on what is this fresh revelation from God from the apostles' teaching. Well, pick up your Bible. There's the apostles' teaching. So you could really have all four that bring in of truth. So go out to breakfast or lunch outside, open your Bible, talk to each other for a while, enjoy each other's company, feel the spirit with you, pray, and bam, the four devotions that rocked the world with power are available right at your fingertips. It's awesome. So how are we devoted to being and staying connected? This crazy season is full of threats. But it's also full of opportunity to be really good as a church at what we're supposed to be really good at. Life-giving relationship. Let's pray. As we often do, church, I just want to close with a, a quiet moment where just between you and God, you do your business with the Lord, if you will, where we ask, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're wanting to say to me right now? I would encourage you to ponder those questions that are on the back of the lift notes. Who is God calling you to encourage? Who is God calling you to lift up? Or is God calling you, inviting you to reach out to someone and say, hey, Man, could we get together? Been having a rough time. Just be good to be together as brothers and sisters. Or more on those lines of how is your devotion to community being reflected in your actions, in your schedule, in your structured planning? Is there something that God's calling you to, to add some structure, to show your devotion to Him by just making it a regular practice? Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your best friend, maybe with a, a couple close friends. But you just ratchet up that intentionality to say, I'm going to make this happen. This is life-giving fellowship. Or maybe it's increasing that radar for who's out there that needs that, that encouragement. Or maybe it's the boldness to reach out when it's you. Around those questions, let's just sit for a minute. And we ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak 
to every single person here right now, listening, watching. Lead us in your way everlasting. We make ourselves available. Dance a new dance like David. Dance.